You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You are listening to Episode 10, Setbacks Equal Opportunities. When students enter junior high and high school, uh, their bodies, their minds, their emotions are all growing and changing, and self-esteem, self-image, confidence, those elements often fluctuate, and it's not uncommon for students to have a hard time with how they look, how they feel, uh, whether it's height, whether it's acne, uh, whether it's popularity, any of those things. And how they feel about themselves very much affects their faith and how they are willing to engage with it, who they're willing to let in to be able to talk to them about hard things. And the second part to go along with that is in order for us to grow, usually hardship and even suffering Uh, is where we grow the most. So when you toss that in with a student who already has some uh, self-image issues and things that they are struggling with, that can be pretty rough. My guest today uh, will talk about his own experience with that. His name is Coy Poitier. Coy is a worship and youth pastor at a church down in southeast Dallas. He is also on the Dallas Historical Commission and several other uh, positions that he serves in now or has, and I will let him introduce himself here in a moment. But as we listen to this and think about how we feel about ourselves, uh, even as adults and who God made us to be, and how he uses setbacks to help us minister to others and in order to see his blessings later in life. Uh, it's good for us to think about those times in our own lives, and hopefully it'll be an encouragement to hear about those from Coy's life. So let's hop into the interview. Coy, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with me today. Uh, for those who don't know you, uh, could you give us a quick overview of who you are and what you're up to these days? Yes, hello. Uh, thank you for inviting me. My name is Coy Fortier. I'm uh, from the Dallas area, but I am the Minister of Music at uh, Fresh Northern Worship Center in the city of Lancaster. And I'm also the, the Executive Director of FAWC Conservatory of Arts and Sciences, which we are a uh, nonprofit that tries to show you in uh, lower income areas or underserved areas, arts and sciences they're not generally introduced to. And uh, also my wife and I are definitely into farming. And so this is some of the things we're doing now right here in the uh, city of Lancaster and Dallas. Very cool, man. Very cool. Uh, As I mentioned in the intro, uh, we'll be talking about how we teach students to approach failure and hardship. Uh, Teenagers are growing up with nonstop social pressures, primarily from that electronic rectangle that's glued to their hand. Um, they see the private made public failures of others and how quickly one's online persona or even their entire social life can be quote unquote canceled in the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. 
but as made evident overall by God's grace, made known through the death and resurrection of Jesus, as well as the stories of Job, Joseph, David, Paul, and several others, God is the God of second, third, and fourth chances. Uh, so, Coy, I think a great place for us to start today is uh, listening to how your life story up to this point has proven that characteristic of God again and again. So what are some examples you have experienced of God providing for you after setbacks, failures, or periods of adversity? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up David because I kind of patterned my lifestyle after David because I was the youngest, of course, uh, growing up in the 70s. I, I, I had low self-esteem. You know, I, I was the guy that was in the field. I was the, the, the ruddy one, uh, the one that uh, didn't mind getting dirty and the ones that uh, if, when everybody was going in to watch TV, I'm still outside uh, hunting, uh, you know, just like um, not not the cool one, not the, the lady grabber. I was just the old, good old, just coy, the guy who enjoyed being in the background. But at some point in my life, God uh, let me know that he was calling me into leadership. Mm. Uh, and that was something I did not want to do. I was comfortable in the back. I was comfortable um, just being me and, uh, you know, living in the shadow of some great people uh, of, of my grandfather, who's a bishop of the Church of God. My dad's bishop of the Church of God. And, of course, my uh, relative, my cousin, Sidney Fortier, who was an uh, actor. And first time I saw Uptown Saturday Night, I got to realize that my mom said, you know, that's your your, your, your cousin, and, and uh, you know, just with that name Poitier for years, I despised the name because I enjoyed just being me. I didn't, I didn't want to be anybody else. And so I rebelled a lot. Mm. I did a lot of things to make sure that everybody knew I was just like them. I had to be the life of the party. I was the funniest guy because I wanted to do everything other than what I felt like uh, God was calling me to do or what my family uh, legacy was in ministry, I did everything opposite of that. And in the meantime, God was still giving me chance after chance. Uh, many times I supposed to been gone. Many times I should have been locked up a lot longer. Uh, a lot of times I should have been killed. A lot of times I could have killed someone. Uh, and, and But God always made a way that that didn't happen because of those second chances that he was giving me because he knew where I was supposed to be. He knew where he desired me to be. And so that's why, because um, I'm sorry, that's why I kind of compare myself to David, because um, other people saw in me what God saw in me. And so uh, while everybody's suspecting other members of my family do a lot of things I'm doing now, they're qualified for it. But God had uh, uh, made it designed for me to be in that spot. And he's opened a lot of doors for me. Um, like I said, technically, those doors would not have been open for me. Uh, being where I where I've been on both sides of the law. <laughs> um, yeah. So God has opened some doors for me for those second, third, fourth. I mean, we could probably reach up to twenty chances. Yeah. Well, for me. No, absolutely, man. I think um, I I tend to think of stages in my life as many lifetimes. Like when someone says, "Hey, remember back in high school?" or "Remember when this happened?" and I usually say something like that feels like two or three lifetimes ago because I think of the people who were around me, the people at that time in my life who I considered my closest friends, who I talked to every day. Um, and it just feels like as we grow and we have different stages, um, that God uses whatever context we're in 
um, especially through hardship and adversity to really teach us and show us things that if we didn't go through those, then we could read them in a book or watch them on a screen, but not really fully understand um, what it's like. And because those times shape us, right? We get pounded out like iron. Um, And I think that's why I kind of have always uh, been pulled toward the uh, imagery of as iron sharpens iron, you know, how we're to engage with one another, keep each other accountable, but to help one another grow and mature and learn. And uh, unfortunately, learning usually only comes through hardship and tough work and sometimes suffering. And uh, yeah, so as you were talking, I kind of picture, you know, there were times in my life, especially in junior high, um, where if you saw me at church, I was one way. If you saw me at school, I was someone completely different. And that was my attempt uh, with my own low low, uh, self-esteem and other things uh, to be able to try and compensate and to be able to fit in. Um, And it wasn't really until the end of junior high going into high school that graciously God put enough people in my life who were able to influence me and kind of set me straight. So I realized I don't have to try and play that part. Um, I can be who God designed me to be. And yes, I still had hard times and, and, and failures, but it took that massive turnaround in my life with people giving me harsh words, but, but good words for me to kind of take, take that, uh, about face, if you will. So, yeah. Low self-esteem had opened some bad doors in my life. I, I took a lot. I, I accepted a lot that I probably wouldn't have if I had positive self-esteem, but I like to encourage people with low self-esteem that, you know, you're a lot better than, you know, when you preach up God, it, it uh, sees you a lot better than you see yourself. Because I really didn't believe in myself at all. You know, I grew up in the 70s, and I tell people it's a joke, but uh, I told people that in the 70s, it was about the, what they call them light-skinned guys. It was all about all the beautiful light-skinned guys, especially when uh, Miami Vice came out. You had the, the guy with the uh, tubs and Crockett. You know, you had the nice-looking guys. Of course, I was the really dark-skinned guy. So I always caught the jokes in school. I always called that, oh, you, you're, you're black and you're dark. And, and so not knowing that was a positive for me now, back then, that, I was really hurt. I hated the fact that I was dark. I hated myself. I was like, God, why you had to make me like this? You know? uh, and so you know, I, more than I hate the people who were picking at me, I hated myself for being like that. Mm. But you know, it, it, I thank God for allowing me because there's plenty of times because of church, I didn't want to kill myself because I thought about, oh, man, I'm going to hell. But it wasn't, that wasn't the reason it kept me here, if that makes sense. If I could have died, if I could have gotten away with uh, taking my life, I probably would have. So I thank God for at least stealing that enemy that Corey don't do it. You know, whatever it took for me not to do that because of low self-esteem. There's a lot of people that suffer with that. Um, let's just want to encourage you. Just keep moving. Keep going. It's, it's going to get better. And I can tell you that. I can tell you that as a living witness because I was one of those people. Yeah. Amen, bro. Um, you and I have shared uh, some good conversation and you have stories. I'm sure we could be here for hours. So uh, you have some really powerful stories. Um, and I think the practical side of our ministry, not just our ministry, but even how we relate to one another is often fueled by how God has worked in our own lives. And so we use that experience to be able to place ourselves in the shoes of others facing specific circumstances. I know that's helped me when I place myself in uh, students' 
shoes when I listen and help guide them through whatever they're facing. Uh, so, Koi, how have you been able to translate some of those experiences into helping others who are facing hardship and failures of their own? And I believe that God allowed me to go through some things publicly so I could help people who are going through the same things. And I think because of some of those things, going to jail, you know, like I said, I used to be a law enforcement officer. Some weird situation happened to where I ended up getting arrested for selling my own gun, which I know it sounds dumb, <laughs> uh, something I did not do, but you know, it was that time in that city. And so I actually got convicted for something as weird as stealing my own gun. But at the time, I didn't see that God was setting me up for something greater. And because of that title of convicted felon, like I tell anybody, I'm not a convicted felon. I'm a person who's been convicted of a felon. I don't like people who stick that title on themselves. And because of that, I've been able to uh, get into circles that I ordinarily wouldn't have been able to get to as a law enforcement officer. I've been able to bless former gang members. I've been able to bless uh, uh, people that had a violent past. And so some of the experiences I've had as far as low self-esteem, I've been able to turn other people's mind or change, help change other people's mind um, some things they were planning to do because I've been there. You know, I, could, I couldn't tell you how it'd be to be locked up if I hadn't been locked up. You know, you know, I would love to still have been a law enforcement officer. It was my dream as a kid. Um, that's a door that's closed. I used to be sour about it. But until God showed me the lives that I've been helped save, some of the people I've been able to bless, um, then it made me wake up. And so I hosted uh, a conference called Felony to Freedom, which allows felons or people who've been convicted of felony to come and talk about how God's delivered them. Uh, and it's not just all uh, about church. Some of those guys were murderers who are now uh, productive people in society. I know some drug dealers that I've invited who are now millionaires on the good side. They've started businesses. And so um, had I not had that title attached to me, um, I, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, been able to affect those people's lives. So I think a lot of my experiences, I, I use them. I use them. Embarrassing as it may be to be on a board with the city of Dallas, to be on a board with the, the county commission or a, a board with the commission for the county, to for those people to find out that I was a, uh, a person convicted of felony, that was embarrassing at first. But there was another guy who said, you know what, I'm going to, uh, you know, God is telling me that I need to tell you, you need to stop that. You need to tell people your story. And the whole time I was hiding stuff, more opportunities has opened up for me now than ever had before. Now the fact that people know that I've had a, a, a past with a, a felony record. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good perspective. And it's one that it's very clear you've gained through personal experience that has not been easy. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think, uh, whenever I hear critique of, or I'm presented with, or I see examples of health and wealth gospel, and if you're suffering or hurting, it's because you're not praying enough right. where looking at the life of Jesus and looking at, you know, David and Paul and others, the opposite is true. It's, it's very true that God uses hard times to shape who you are to make you remember that we are dependent on him. And, you know, there are places like in Romans where it says God ordains suffering in times of hardship, but it's for our good. All those verses that says he works for our good and he loves us and he only gives good gifts. Those are all true, even in the midst of 
suffering and hardship. And so, you know, I've met people in my life who, when they come to Christ, um, they think that all of a sudden things are going to be easier, better. Yeah, but, but easier. And I'm quick to tell them it's actually going to be more difficult. You know, right. Jesus said to uh, pick up your cross and follow him. And in those days, if you were carrying around a cross or a cross beam, you were literally a dead man walking. You were going to your own death. So if you were to be completely empty and selfless and to be able to surrender your own life and desires to follow God, to, to follow God and to model yourself after Jesus Christ, it's going to be actually more difficult. But the blessings that you receive and what you see in the midst of that, as you've shared, you wouldn't be able to see any of that if that hadn't been the case. And if you hadn't made some sacrifices, then you wouldn't be able to see and enjoy what God has blessed you with now. Yeah, I've seen a, a minister say this, and I say this for years when I talk to my youth, that yeah, times get scary, but I compare it to a movie. When I when I was afraid I was going to watch a horror movie, a lot of times if I wondered somebody was going to die, I would pour it to the end. And if I saw that person at the end of the movie, it didn't matter what happened between. So I can go back to the beginning because it didn't matter what happened between the beginning and the end. I knew that person was going to live, so I could watch the movie with ease. And that's how it is in our lives. Is how I explain to our kids: we already got promised, you know, through God that we're going to make it in. So as long as we live and we keep living, we keep moving. The, the, the preview has already showed us. The movie has already showed us at the end we're going to win. So mm. no matter what we go through right now, we know somehow it's going to be okay. And and that's how I encourage people. Just think of it that way that you 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 saw the you saw the end of the movie and you know you're there and you know you're victorious. So just walk on through. Yeah, that's right. If we have an eternal hope in Christ and not a finite hope in being our best selves and trying to accomplish everything before the grave, right? Our worth is more than that. And so we have an eternal scope and an eternal perspective. And when we're in these times and we're bound by time and age and accomplishments, it's kind of hard to see that. But when you take a broader scope, kind of ticked off the uh, horse blinders, if you will, what, what I tell my students, be able to see where God is at work all around you and be able to know like you said, we know the end of the story. We know that we have victory through Jesus and that he's coming back and that God has ordained these things. And yes, there's going to be suffering and hardship, but remember what's coming. And that hope uh, is what propels us along with our own community. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the main thing I wanted to shift to now uh, is something is the main thing that you're currently doing, uh, serving as the executive director of the FAWC Conservatory of Arts and Sciences. Uh, the Bible contains many stories and lessons involving crops, fields, and using the imagery of those as representing abundance or spiritual growth and maturity. Uh, so, Coy, what are you most excited about regarding this venture of yours with arts and sciences and gardening and everything else? And how do you see it having a wide reaching impact on our Dallas community? For one, uh, one of my passions is to see those same guys that's on the street, that's selling drugs, that's trying to take care of their family. I'm not giving them an excuse. What I'm saying is they have a, a desire to do what they're doing to take care of family. What I tell them is, let me take you out to the garden teach you how to grow uh, fruits and vegetables. And that way, that same corner where you're doing damage, 
you can come by and come back to the same corner, set up a little market and start selling things legally and give back to the community that you're stealing from. So that's one of my main goals is to take those kids from that neighborhood and show them that there's life out here. There's there's other life besides what they know. And that starts with a seed. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm planting a seed in them and, and, and allowing God to just take them to the next level. And so what I do is I bring them out, uh, let them put a seed in the ground, bring them back 14 to 21 days and explain to them that now that seed is starting to germinate. That seed is starting to come from out of the ground where, you know, you can start to see a change. You can start to see a difference. And um, the number two side of that is because we're going through a pandemic, things are not going to be easy for everybody. Mm-hmm. So you're not just going to be able to go to the grocery store and buy something to eat. So we found it out the last time when they shut everything down. People were panicking and the shelves were empty. And so it's like, God, you set me up at the perfect time to start learning some of this stuff. And so right. what I want to do is start teaching these, these people again, the community, these, these young adults, these families um, that, hey, when if, if this goes back to that point again, you start now preparing on your back porch, in your window. You know, I've seen somebody on, on YouTube, they did it in a car. They actually <laughs> just window as almost like a greenhouse. But start preparing yourself for just in case. I'm not doing the doom and gloom, but anything can happen. And we've seen it before, the grocery store is shutting down. So now prepare yourself. And so that's one of the things I want to give back to the community. It's an opportunity for us to learn together. My wife and I and my parents, we're new at this. So you showed you how fast God could uh, elevate you. Uh, we've been able to get into the Master Gardeners program with Dallas County, and that propelled us a little bit far, further in knowledge. We want to take that same knowledge and bring it back to the community for us to be prepared for the just-in-case. You know, we they, they need something to eat. They can grow it right from their own yard. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. Um, so if you had one or two main things that you think this current generation – Generation Z, um, the things that you've experienced and that you've seen in your own life, and now you see how they're tied to social media. Um, you know, the issues of mental health are very rampant and depression and anxiety and things like that. If you had, you know, your students and my students and a whole bunch of students in a massive room and you could lay out the one or two main things that they should know now or watch out for or have a good perspective on moving forward, what would maybe those one or two things be from your perspective? I would say wake up and, um, and realize who you are and, um, you know, kind of do a self-evaluation of who you are. Mm-hmm. Because I think the, uh, this internet society makes us want to be who we see on the other side of the screen. So everybody want to be a YouTube star is everybody want likes on Facebook. And there's actually people killing themselves because they only getting two likes. There's people mm-hmm. hating themselves because they can only get a couple of likes. So people are living their whole lives trying to impress people on social media. So when you realize who you are yourself, you could walk away from social media and, and not feel like you've lost something. You know, and it, it's hard for me. With Facebook, you know, it's plenty of times when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I'm grabbing for my phone is to see what's on Facebook. I'm grabbing my phone to see what happened on YouTube. So I'm not, that's why I say I can't throw a rock at them because I have some of the same issues myself with this uh, social media age that we're in. Mm-hmm. So the goal is now to, you know, see if you can put it down for a little bit and just see who you are and start believing in yourself, start encouraging yourself. 
Uh, and I think that will solve a lot of problems, self-esteem problems that I had. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm satisfied with myself now. I'm having a good time. You know, I moved out here to Texas. I got me some boots. Somebody blessed me. <laughs> you can't tell me nothing now. People, there's a lot of people who say, yeah, we'll know when we see Coy in uh, Dallas because we're going to see this guy with dreads, boots, and a cowboy hat. So they don't even have to turn me around. They're going to know it's me. So I'm just excited that God has just uh, made me realize who I am. I'm blessed. And uh, I'm glad to be here, brother. And I'm, like I said, because of things and people I met years ago, I'm getting to meet new people like yourself, amazing people like yourself. And so, you know, that's what I'm going to tell them. And just get yourself together. And then I guarantee you, a lot more people will like you. I want to be around you if that's what you desire. If they see the positive light and the, the light that Jesus talked about that set up on that side of the hill, that the people are going to see it. You're going to be a candle that's going to shine bright through the city, through the country, through the world if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I love that. I love that. I think uh, what's always been true of junior high and high schoolers is when they get to that age, the main question they have that's kind of the root of everything else is, who am I? Who am I uh, biologically, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? They're growing and changing and, and maturing, and they're determining what they're going to do in life, what their moral compass is, um, who they're going to listen to, um, who they're going to allow themselves to be influenced by. And, um, you know, I, I was very blessed to have so many people at that age be able to pour into and invest in me from the church. Um, and, you know, I probably mentioned it on the podcast in the past, but uh, if budget was not an issue and logistics weren't a certain way, I would have had a line of groomsmen all the way back to the wall. You know, I've, I've had so many guys and, and girls, but, but a lot of guys for sure who have poured into me um, and all of those different stages, kind of like I referenced earlier, all of those many lifetimes, I've had people step up and be able to speak words of truth to me, to be able to remind me who I am. And I think for students, as you pointed out, to be able to separate themselves from social media and yet have a growing and better image of themselves is probably the biggest mental, emotional struggle of this generation. It's how do I separate myself, make myself distinct from my online image, which I can cover up with filters and everything else and have this persona that everyone thinks, well, that's me. But if they knew me in real life, uh, they probably wouldn't attribute those likes and those views and retweets and all of that. And so I think for, uh, for students, that's the hardest thing. And what you suggested is great. I've challenged my students for several hours of a day or even one whole day a week to not turn their phone on, to leave it there, to engage with their family, with friends, face-to-face, eye contact, and uh, be able to have good conversations. And um, one of the pluses is with everything being online, even a very simple exercise that's in person without technology is a novelty because a lot of the interactions students are used to having is just scrolling on a screen. But when you engage with them in creative ways and kind of like what you're doing now, teaching people to work with their hands, to learn a skill, it takes more than just your hands or your mind. It takes 
your eye. It, t- it takes everything. Like it kind of changes who you are when you're trying to learn something, right? You're literally probing new pathways in your brain as you're kind of learning things. And that can help you with that skill, but also help your perspective with what others have been doing up to this point, which you haven't known how to do. It's like learning to cook for the first time or learning to, you know, drive for the first time. It's like, wow, everyone's been doing this and it's actually a lot more difficult. But now that I can do it, and I, l- I love what you're talking about, because you're not only teaching them a skill, you're teaching them a skill that's in perpetuation, passing on and helping and investing others, which yeah. is what we're supposed to do, right? Uh, Jesus said to go and make disciples. Mm-hmm. And even beyond that and around that, how we treat others and help others, uh, if we're to truly love one another, then we should help others be able to learn things for, uh, so, so they can help themselves and then help others as well and teach and teach and demonstrate and walk alongside with. And man, I think you're doing just that. And I'm very excited to see it for myself uh, when the COVID stuff hopefully calms down. Man, I'm going to head out there with some students um, and I'm excited for it. And I love following uh, everything on Facebook and seeing the pictures of um, the pictures of everything growing and uh, man, it's, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah, one uh, thing I, I want to say too is let me uh, plug the computer here. That would be very embarrassing for that. Um, one thing <laughs> that I want to mention too before we um, close up is the fact that Katrina and I, my wife and I, we do this together. But one thing that we need to be aware of is a lot of these kids do not understand what the word love is. And I want to definitely throw that in there. A lot of times we hug on them. We, uh, we tell them we love them. And that's an odd word for some of these guys who want to be hard. Mm. They want to come in. They just come in just to give us a hug. Because what we found out in some of these neighborhoods, you know, one apartment we lived in in Dallas, we were the only married couple in the whole apartment complex. So people were amazed just to see a mother and a father in the same household. And so things we take for granted. That's why I tell my kids all the time, some things you take for granted, other, other kids and other uh, families would love to have that. And so uh, I encourage some of these adults just to go up and grab some of these, these, these guys and girls, but grab some of these, these guys, some of these boys out in the street, and let them know, man, I don't know what you're doing out here, but I love you. And, and just watch their interaction because they have never really heard it before. I mean, they see it on hmm. TV, but they've never, and it sounds odd, but some of these kids have never, ever, and I want to be, I want to emphasize that never heard anybody say, I love you. Mm. And so we've lost two young men. We lost one through a drive-by last year and almost a day, a couple of hours from the same time this year, we lost another kid to murder. Mm. Uh, so we lost two kids violently. The rest of the kids that's in our program have to live knowing that, you know, at any time we could be shot through a drive-by, something could happen. And so the fact that they know there's a safe place to go, and that people in that safe place really do genuinely love them. We'll give them a hug and tell them to their face, I love you. I, I don't know what you're going to do with that. But uh, Mr. Coy and Ms. Katrina, we truly do love you. And when these doors are open, you have a place that you can come and sit down, listen to music, do your homework. Uh, because I can tell you, when some of these kids go home after school, they, they don't have anything to eat. But these whole so these whole summers, I'm sorry, the school is out. You may have some kids that are eating one time a day right here in Dallas 
right here in the United States. And so that's that's why we strive so hard. That's why a lot of times we're either at the farm or at our center. It's not really a conversation about being home. Our kids understand that because we're out there making sure that we're doing what we can for people, just kids to eat, for families to eat. I'm sorry for taking all that time, but I just... No, man, I, I love hearing that. That's what a very uh, vivid and fantastic picture of... I mean, Jesus did a lot of things around the table and breaking bread and how important that is. And yes, uh, our, um, our church and the church that I worked at in seminary, uh, we've done a lot of work with refugee students uh, right. who are down in the Vickery Meadow area of, of Dallas. Uh, we do a, a summer camp with them that's um, been canceled, unfortunately, because of COVID. And tomorrow uh, we're getting together outside socially distanced of course and making some care packages because a lot of that camp staff is still trying to work hard to reach out to those kids even though the formal camp can't happen but yes i loved seeing the the school district and the schools and walking with my son uh in the stroller by some of the schools and seeing those teachers out there going the extra mile if kids couldn't show up for lunch they would get in their car and drive by their neighborhood and be able to hand it out to be able to feed because yeah there are a lot of kids who during the school year the school is their main source of food and then when they go home they might not really have much if if anything and so man i, I love that and i love that you're showing and teaching your your kids that because that teaches them and shows them the importance of well i know that i'm getting a meal from from mom and dad but these other kids they don't know that unless they show up here. And so I get to be a part of that and they can see that. And that's actually part of their childhood and being raised in that way. And I think that's beautiful, man. That's a very powerful example that you're setting. And I, I love to hear that. Love to hear that. Um, so uh, uh, I know there are people out there who would probably love to hear more of you and see what you're doing. Uh, you mentioned that you're on the historical commission for the city of Dallas. Um, and you have a website and some other productions. So uh, where are some places that people can listen or watch uh, what you're currently doing right now? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I know we talked about the youth, but Facebook is my, uh, where you can see me personally with Coy. Um, I do run a uh, radio show and I, I try to talk about issues that's happening right now. So I bring in some of these former gang members uh, things I, I have an American Roots show that I do every Friday from five to six, and I bring like the last twenty minutes of that show. I try to highlight some of the uh, local guys in the community who was doing damage, who are now doing good. So that's five to six on a, a show called I call American Rooted, and it's on W3RadioTV.com. Also, as you mentioned, um, with the Historical Commission for Dallas County, appointed by Dallas Judge uh, Clay Jenkins. And um, what we do is we look for historical um, stories that we can put in our newsletter. Also, we're responsible for the markers for the Texas uh, Historical Commission. We are the first line that you will bring your, your uh, ideas for the historical markers. And also, if you want to find more about the nonprofit, that's F-A-W-C-C-A-S. So F is in Frank, uh, com. And on there, you can be able to keep in touch with us and find out what we're doing. You can subscribe to our website and be able to keep up on the different things we're doing. And I love to talk about my wife's fish. Uh, as a fundraiser every Friday at the office in Pleasant Grove from 11 to 3, we do Ms. Trina Mays Fish on Fridays. 
All um, right. It's Trina Mays. If it's Trina Mays, just sound like somebody who can cook. Her name is not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not Trina Mays, but it just sound like Miss Trina Mays can cook. So we named it Miss Trina Mays uh, Fish on Fridays. So if you wanted to come out and support a nonprofit, just come out, buy a plate, $8 plate. And uh, I'm sure you won't be disappointed. I love that old good old country, uh, Florida fried chicken. I mean, fish, I'm sorry. Yeah, dude, I love that. I'm gonna set my set my calendar and my clock for next Friday, bro. That's awesome. Um, well, Coy, man, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, I'll be praying for you as you continue to use your gifts and influence uh, and your and your green thumb for God's glory. Thanks again, brother. Thank you. That concludes today's episode of Youth Ministry Maverick. Thanks again to Coy for joining me. If you haven't already, please subscribe and follow this podcast on either Spotify or Podbean. And I hope you can share this episode with people who uh, it would benefit them personally or their ministry to students. We are now a weekly podcast. So every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central, a new episode will go live. If you have any questions about the podcast, you have a topic that you would like to hear about or you would like to be a guest, please reach out and let me know. Until next time, adios.